Got depression, anxiety, talk about it with me. Strange dreams, same taste, safe place. Therapy is great, and this ain't the same. But we're crying behind sunglasses, anyway. Crying behind sunglasses. This is a Soul Fire production. Hey, yo. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses, a mental health podcast for cool people. I'm your host, Katie Dahl. And if it's your first time here, welcome. And if you've been here before, thank you for coming back. And thank you for all of your great reviews. They really help us to keep getting the show out there. Oh, and also, if it's your first time here, quick disclaimer, I am not a doctor. This podcast is not meant to be a substitute for therapy or medical advice. If you actually have a problem, you should reach out to a real doctor. I actually have a lot of resources on our website, cryingbehindpod.com, but more on that later. Today is a very special day because if you hear any little chirping or quacks in the background, that's because a mama duck and her 12 baby ducklings have decided to nest in my yard. They showed up yesterday and (laughs) we weren't really sure what to do. I called a million different animal reserves, animal control, different places, and basically they are protected species. So it is illegal to transport them in California because I was trying to get someone to come pick up these baby ducks and the mom and bring them to a lake or something. But apparently they live in my yard now and we just have to let them stay there until they are old enough to fly away. (laughs) So for the next, I guess, at least five weeks, they'll be here. We'll see. But this is exciting for me, not just because the ducks are really cute, which they are. I mean, they're like a day or two old. But also I've always felt a really special connection to ducks because for me, they symbolize peace. I've always found a lot of calm and a lot of inner peace just watching ducks glide along the water, you know, like they just go with the flow. I remember when I was acting in a movie, um, It Hits You When You Know It, which is actually a feature film on Amazon if you want to go watch it. But that's not what this is about. I was up there, I was acting in this movie, and I remember being on set. It was such a Fun experience, but I was also kind of stressed out. Like I was worried whether or not I was doing a good performance. And also because I am a filmmaker, I found myself feeling like I wasn't doing enough because usually on set, I'm used to being like behind and in front of the camera and doing everything and all these different, wearing all these different hats. But in this, I was just showing up on set and just being an actor. And I remember I had a day off and I was walking around the lake up there in Crestline and I was watching the ducks swim along the water and I had this moment where I thought, wow, the duck is just swimming on the water. It's not worrying about anything. The duck is just being a duck. So that's what you need to do, Katie. You need to just be a duck. Just be yourself. Just fill the role that you are given. So I don't know if that advice will help anyone. But it's something that has really helped me in my life. So on to today's episode, now that we're done with the duck business. I will say I do feel like I'm Tony Soprano in his pilot episode, or maybe I'm Anna Paquin in Fly Away Home. Who knows? Today's episode is really great. It's with a close friend of mine, Christina Elizabeth Smith. 
And quick trigger warning, we do have some descriptions of sexual assault. So just in case that's something that would bother you, then obviously you can skip past that part. But she is an actress and a visual artist. You may recognize her from NCIS New Orleans as Ginny. She's been on Grey's Anatomy as Julie Hall. She has a short film pretext that's out that she wrote and is acting in. And coming up later this year, she will actually be an off-Broadway production of Hurley Burley in New York. So what do we talk about? Well, we talk about how she uses her painting as therapy and as her blossoming second career, how she ties her suffering to a larger mission to make it have meaning, and chanting meditations that she has started to do as a way to heal and process trauma, and also the ways that her real-life experiences as a survivor of sexual assault informed her performance on NCIS. And we wrap that all up with ways that we as a community can better support survivors of sexual assault. So this is a really important episode. It's very touching how she was willing to be so open and so vulnerable with me and share her story with all of you. So I hope that you will take a listen and please enjoy. Welcome back to Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm Katie Dahl, and today's guest is a dear friend of mine. You may know her as Ginny from NCIS New Orleans or Julie Hall on Grey's Anatomy. She's also got a short film out that you should check out called Pretext. Please welcome Christina Elizabeth Smith. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. Of course. <laughs> it's always weird interviewing people who I'm like close friends with because I'm like, I, I I feel like I've already asked you everything. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. It's just a, it's fun to be here and do this. I'm so impressed with how you put this podcast together. So it's like, I'm really excited to be here and talk to you. I always want to talk to you. Thank you. Yeah, it's been um, almost a year of uh, doing these interviews, and I feel like I've learned a lot. And it's it's been really fun to have the support um, of such a such a great community too. Mm-hmm. So, since you've uh, stepped into my virtual unlicensed therapy office, uh, I have to ask you how are how are you feeling today, like mental health wise, mental health check in. Ah, that's a great question because it's so ebbs and flows, which I feel like everybody feels right now. I feel um, today, I mean, we were having like some internet issues, so I feel a little bit like I'm settling into this now. I'm like, okay, we're here. We're figuring it out. Um, So that always gets me a little frazzled because I'm just not a computer person. I'm like, I don't know, you know, so that was getting me. But other than that, I've been... um, structuring my days a little bit more because you know I'm an artist like actor and artist so it's like if I don't motivate myself to structure my days I get a little like untethered feeling and then that can kind of lead to my depression where is my life going so I've been a little better like kind of having uh, self-imposed structure lately um and I've been way better at like checking in with more people in the last couple of weeks. And I think that that's like filled my heart up a little bit because I tend to go a little bit quiet every once in a while. So I'm doing a little bit better on that end of like, okay, I feel like there's hope. I feel like there's a little bit more like life in the air, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I actually, I forgot to mention to our listeners. Um, also, uh, Christina is a very talented painter. She 
paints under the name Emrita Art. Um, if you want to check out her her modern art pieces, I think they're, they're really cool. And it's so neat that you kind of started putting that out there more during the pandemic. And I was just wondering, like, have you always been painting or was that a new thing that you just started last year? Not last year. I mean, I've, it's always been in like the periphery of my life. Um, just kind of like a secret, like a hidden part of my life. I would just <laughs> do it as like, you know, almost a different kind of therapy or something that I just didn't really have a really strong agenda with. It would be something that would just help my heart. And then years ago, when I was in New Orleans, I started just kind of posting stuff on Instagram. I was like, you know, cause it was bringing me joy. I was like, maybe this will motivate somebody else to play around with some kind of visual art. I don't know. And so I started posting it and people started responding to it. They were like, I didn't know you did this. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> so it just, <laughs> just kind of grew from there and then started getting in galleries and eventually ended up getting repped by an amazing gallery. And so it just sort of has a life of its own, but yeah, in visual art, I think I explore anything that opens up that creative channel. So it's always been around. I just didn't take it really seriously until the last like couple of years, maybe three years or something. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it's a, you're saying it's kind of a form of therapy for you. Like it's a way for you to process your emotions um, without having to necessarily put words to it. Mm -hmm. I mean, a hundred percent. And I also think what's beautiful about, you know, as an actor, so much of our life is we feel like the, the shell we're in, you know, is, I don't know, our work is contingent on that. And mm -hmm. there's something really freeing about having visual art because it's not dependent on the way I look. And it's like, none of that comes into my visual art. Like, it's just purely about, um, what I'm putting down, like on a canvas. And that's really freeing in a completely different way. Like I love acting for what it gives me, but then painting is sort of a different kind of it, like escape. So yeah, I don't know. It just fills up a different part of my soul, but then I go back to my acting and I'm almost like fresher and fuller and feel more like myself because I'm nurturing all sides of me. If that makes mm -hmm. any sense. It does. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think as a woman in the industry, it is easy to feel like objectified or feel like it's all about your looks or like you're just a kind of piece of meat, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And so being able to like express yourself artistically without having to make it about how you look, that would be really freeing. Yeah, it really is. And even with like my art page, because I have the Amrita art Instagram and then you know, my Christine Elizabeth Smith Instagram and I separate them. And like, as of right now, I don't have like my face on the Amrita art. And there's just something really beautiful about connecting with other artists. And a lot of those artists don't know what I look like. And that's not like, I don't want to celebrate my life and, and what that looks like. There is just a different kind of like freedom in that of like my visual art is not, like I said, contingent on that. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it, even though it's not contingent on that, it's still like deeply personal. Yeah, you know? and, well, and it almost like you can ex like I feel like I can expose different parts of myself because it's not here's my personal Instagram and I'm posting visual art. You know, it's almost like I can really do the work to um, uncover even deeper parts of myself. You know, because it, it visual art's really exposing in a really strange way. Like you just feel really raw putting it out there. 
because it's just something that you don't know how the world's going to react, but you feel compelled to do it. So you have to follow that instinct. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's like a beautiful reason to to do any art and is instead of like trying to impress other people or to be a certain kind of person, you just, you feel compelled. You have like this deep instinct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a really the thing to always hone anyway. I mean, if you're trying to impress other people, like you kind of, that's going to kill you. You got to get away from that. You know? <laughs> so that's, that's never been an instinct of yours. I mean, there's, we always want external validation. It's like, even you came and saw some of my pieces and that like warms my heart, like to feel that community collective thing. I'm like, Oh, this is so cozy. Like, I love that. Like mm-hmm. we, we need a certain level of external, like, cause we are all connected in that way. But if I'm only doing it for that, if I'm only doing it to like have people tell me that I'm neat and cool, like that's not sustainable. There has to be a larger pull and mission and like message I'm trying to bring into the world, or I'll just be blown in the wind too much, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What would you say? I mean, I know this is kind of like a big question. Uh, so feel free to like answer <laughs> however you want, but like, how, what would you say is like a larger mission with, um, is there like an umbrella around everything you do? Because I noticed that like, I feel like there's a common thread, not only between the, the art, but also like the characters that you play. Um, like you just, to me, I see a theme of like vulnerability and being Mm. really brave and sharing that. But like, what do you feel? Do you feel like you have an overall mission with the art that you put out there into the world? Well, I love that you see that. Thank you. Um, and great question. I, yeah, I mean, that's my overarching, you know, I'm always trying to tie my own suffering to mission. It's like, that's how you free yourself from suffering is you tie it to mission in the world, you know, and that's my ultimate goal as an artist, whether it's acting or visual art, it's like, I want people to feel free and liberated and, um, through their suffering and that vulnerability. Like I just, you know, cause inherently I think all the things that we want in our core selves are the same. We want love and acceptance and to be held in the world. And it's like, mm. I want to be the one that says the stuff that people are trying to hide and be like, it's, it's okay. Like, you know, so yeah, that liberation and that just shining a light on the things that the shame, you know, and the things that we're hiding and just be like, it's okay. You know, whatever that looks like. And those are the characters I'm always pulled towards, like ones that are, you know, go through something, but they overcome. And, you know, that's why we love hero stories so much because it's, you know, the path was hard, but they like overcome something in themselves. And that's what I just want to give people is that they're never broken. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like no matter what happened to you, you're, you're still a whole person or you can be. And fundamentally lovable and fundamentally deserving of respect and, and everything that you want and dream, like, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and you're probably more beautiful because of that suffering. Like, that's relatable, you know? Mm. Wow. That's so poetic. And I, I love it. And it feels very like, uh, it feels profound. It feels like, um, also I, I know that you're re- you're really into Buddhism and they, they talk a lot about how, um, suffering is a part of the human experience and not to just run from it. Right. I mean, I think that, yeah, that fundamental core exists in so many world religions. I just am a practitioner of Buddhism. And so that's just the way that I get there. I always say like, there's that Buddhist thing of like 
all paths lead to enlightenment. So it's really, however you get there, it's beautiful. But yeah, just the, I love the idea in Buddhism is just, we're not born to try and earn our perfect weight or earn being good enough. You know, we're, we're inherently perfect and good enough. And I think the world puts a lot of dirtiness on us, you know, and so we, we practice to like clean off the mirror and see ourselves clearly and see that Buddha nature of like, I am inherently worthy. I am the Buddha. I am this, this being that doesn't have to like prove myself in the world. And, and there's such a release and such an acceptance and such a beauty of like looking at yourself that way. And then looking at other people that way of like, what can I find that's good here? What can I find that's good about myself and, and this other person? And so, yeah, Buddhist concepts like that, I just really love because I don't feel like we get anywhere by beating ourselves up or other people up, you know? Right, right. I'm interested to know, like, you weren't raised with Buddhism. So how did you come around towards that? Um, because I'm sure like these concepts are really great, but it's something that probably took a long time to learn or to, to think about. Yeah, I, you know, I was born Christian and brought up Christian, which um, had beautiful aspects and then aspects I just couldn't agree with. Um, And, you know, I went through a lot of depression in my life. I went through a lot of trauma and that kind of like brought up in me having like, they call it in Buddhism, like a seeking spirit. Like I was always... Mm searching, you know, I was reading books like man's search for meaning, which, and I was reading things like Joseph Campbell and just, which studies a lot of comparative religions. And, you know, I was always just really interested in like, how do people get to peace? How do, how are people finding their way in the world and not wanting to feel, you know, and not feeling desperate, like what is happiness, you know? And so I just always had that seeking spirit and then got, of course, really deep into meditation. And then I had a friend just randomly invite me to a Buddhist meeting. And um, I went and it just sort of felt like a practice that facilitated the way that I wanted to sort of hone all the things that I learned, if that made any sense, you know, because I practiced a form of like chanting meditation morning and night. And it felt like an active practice. I just remember that first feeling I got in my gut where it just felt like that tightness I had had in my chest for so long, kind of like exhale, you know, through this practice of chanting and having a collective and then having these people that were genuinely trying to, you know, work towards a better world and work towards a better self, like in a loving way. Yeah. That's interesting. And for our listeners out there, because like I didn't realize this, uh, the, the, the chanting is very different than regular meditation because you're literally like, it's not like other, you're listening to other people chant. You are actively vocalizing the whole time, right? Right, right. And the, and the thing is like, you feel, I felt so weird when I first did it. I was like, I feel really weird and really exposed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's sort of, it really resonated for me, like being a dancer. And I feel like a lot of stuff trauma we hold in our body. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of an active, like, I can't sit there and just be stir crazy with all my crazy anxiety thoughts. Like I need to get this energy out of my body. Like we are energy. And I think chanting for me just works again. It's whatever works for you. Chanting is a way that I move the energy through my body in a way that I can observe my thoughts and become 
the observer of my thoughts in order to sift through these are the thoughts I want to keep. These are the thoughts that are not useful. And so it's a way of moving the energy. And, and that's what it was. I was like, okay, I just have to feel weird and try this thing because something energetically is moving inside my body. Like when you go and dance, like free movement, or you go on a run, like you're just moving the energy through. I agree with you. I was actually going to bring that up because I feel like a lot of people talk about getting a runner's high or they have dif- different kinds of activities that will bring that same kind of peace to them. And uh, it sounds like it's a really good practice to be able to like let go of your ego and also to separate yourself away from these uh, obsessive, destructive thoughts and to say, you know what? I'm not my thoughts. I am the observer watching the thoughts and I can choose whether or not they're true for me. And I can choose if I want to have an opinion on it, if I want to sign up for, oh, I hate myself today or not. <laughs> so I think that that's really freeing. And like, I think uh, it's not, it doesn't even have to be part of necessarily feeling like I'm, you're part of a religion to say like, oh, this is an exercise that like clearly helps you with your, your depression, anxiety, whatever it is that you're going through. Right, right. And that's what I, you know, talking about Buddhism, which I could talk about forever. Like we could go on and on and on, but, um, you know, it's more humanistic philosophy of, of learning to observe the thoughts, love the self more, have more compassion for self. And then you can have more compassion for the people around you. And I think that's the ultimate goal of life. I mean, that's how I want to live. That's how I want to create art. So yeah, this is just the way that energetically, um, I get there. And so I've been really grateful to find the practice. And I think there's something which I think you posted something like this, the gift of giving yourself a disciplined practice. Like I Mm. think it's so difficult to start a habit, but it is an incredible gift once you do it. Like, you know, that's what I feel like the discipline of this has been a gift, you know? Yes. I've actually been in the middle of reading a book called Badass Habits um, by Jensen Chero. Uh, she's the one who did, uh, you are a badass. She writes a lot of, uh, self-help books. Um, but she talks about like how you setting boundaries and giving yourself rules and like holding yourself accountable. That's, that's Mm self-love. That's not being mean to yourself if you're doing it uh, towards a positive goal. right? Right. Uh, and I think like, you also are kind of reparenting yourself in a way because that's something like your your mom would be like, oh, okay, time to go to bed, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then when you're an adult, there's no one doing that for you. Yeah. So you have to do that for yourself. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful. I should, I should check that book out because I love that kind of stuff where it's like we think we're being hard on ourselves, but it's not. It's almost like such a self-soothing thing to know you have this structure and this discipline that you chose. Like that's autonomy. Like I chose this and you know, yeah, I think it's beautiful. Especially as creative people, it's like, uh, you got to give yourself some structure so that like, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of this is, I don't know if this metaphor will work, but like a sand, <laughs> like a sandbox, if there's no box to keep the sand in, then it's just a beach. I think that's a great metaphor. <laughs> metaphor. Can't talk either. We're, we're doing great. We're doing great. We're doing- that's a great metaphor. Because then it just like spreads out and then you lose all the sandbox and you have no, you have nowhere to play because there's, yeah. 
No, I mean, sandbox. I do like the beach, but you know what I'm saying? Otherwise, yeah. it's just a big pile of sand. <laughs> and like, uh, you, you have to have a way to make sense of it and to put parameters around it um, so that you can thrive a little bit. Like, I think uh, uh, when I worked when I worked as a video editor, I would really appreciate it when clients would give me a lot of like, this is what I want. This is an example of a video that I like instead of just being like, OK, do whatever. Uh, I hate that because I really yeah. want like when someone gives me some rules, then I can play within that zone. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just sort of floating in the wind and it's like uh, you got tethered <laughs> to something. <laughs> where am I? You know, we already feel like that enough in our lives. We need to, you know, anytime we can build structure, it's like we are we are essentially floating like any anytime we think we're not. It's kind of ridiculous so if we can give ourselves the structure you know i mean we're on a planet that's literally floating through space right now yeah (laughs) (laughs) so you know you know uh i i um i wanted to ask you because i i rewatched it last night um some different clips from uh you on ncis nola as as Ginny, and it's just so powerful um anyone who is out there needs to go out there and watch it uh, I forget season five, season six. It's season six. Season I six. Yeah. Done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Season six. yeah, season six of NCIS Nola. But um, I was just so impressed by your ability to go there and be there and um, play those big emotions, but keep it so so real. Like I never felt at any moment that you were pushing over overacting. I just felt like I was watching someone go through an experience of um, this uh, sexual assault and uh, processing it like in real time. And I'm just wondering, what was it like preparing for that role? Um, You know, and was like, where was that all coming from for you? Yeah, I think, thank you for rewatching it. That's really thoughtful. Yeah, the preparation with my roles, it's interesting because I have a lot of parallel experiences in my personal life. Um, So it's really interesting when I get roles um, like this that kind of can bleed over um, because I don't tend to, I'm an actor that I, I prepare a role mostly from creation. Like I want to create this person's world versus bringing in a lot of my own personal world. Yeah. Yeah. You want to yeah. use your imagination instead mm-hmm. of being like, oh, like my character's mom died and one time my dog died and that's yeah, the no. same. No, like, no. It's not the yeah. same. Because <laughs> then I feel like I'm not honoring the human person. You know, my goal is to honor the idea that all stories are fundamentally real. Like someone is actually going through this in the world and my job is yes. to honor that person. My job mm-hmm. is to sit there. So, I mean, that's really what gets me there the most. But then you start to work on and create the imagination of this world. And, and you tap into that of like, this is what's actually happening in our world. And this is happening to women and men. And and um, yeah, and then the beautiful thing about it is that you tap into that sort of collective experience and then it helps like for me, it helps with my own trauma as well. Like, um, because I feel almost like more connected when I work on roles 
uh, like I feel connected to these other stories. And then I kind of come back to my own story with different perspective. It's really interesting. Um, so mm-hmm. yeah, it helps me, um, process my own experiences, like stepping into these other experiences, which is really beautiful. Yeah. That makes so much sense because it did feel like I was watching some, like a human, like actually processing something, mm-hmm. you know? And so for you to say that, like, yeah, I was, I, this helped me to revisit my own traumas and kind of look at them from a new lens and get through things like that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Which is it, that's its own form of meditation. You know, I do have a little note on my refrigerator when I have like things to do when I'm kind of struggling. And one of them is to step into a role, like to step into like a play or, you know, even when I don't have an audition or something, because just stepping into somebody else's story for a minute and getting that perspective, I come back to my own and I feel more rooted and I have more gratitude. It's, it's really interesting. So yeah, that, that role was a gift for sure. That was a definite gift. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I hesitate to say that it, it must've been fun to play because it, it is so much heavy drama, but it sounds like it did um, bring you a lot of joy. Cause I don't know, like if I was in the same situation, if it would feel like too triggering for me or mm-hmm. if it would feel cathartic. Like, it's hard to say. Yeah. I think you never know until you're in it. And there will be, mm-hmm. a, like, for me, I just give myself the full permission of I, I'm i allowed to feel any feeling because the feeling won't take me over. I just, like, want to let it run through me. So processing these things, there will be moments where it's like, oh, my gosh, this happens in the world. I don't know how to fix these things. Um, you know, the victimization of, of, of really everyone it's women and men and and, um so that I just allow myself to feel those feelings but there is an incredible liberation of then you know kind of forging them for good again it's like if I can take this sadness and this suffering and turn it into like using it as a message like this role was a message and Ginny was strong too like she wanted to fight through this and be she was a fighter yeah. And yeah. Being of use. so it's just like it, that kind of feels like alchemy in a way where it's like, um, not succumbing to it and not hiding from it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Because to like wake up in a hospital bed after the being kidnapped and assaulted and then, uh, for her to say, Oh no, get me out of this hospital. I want to go help you find him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a very strong spirit. Not a lot of people would, would say that. (laughs) Right. Right. So she would, you know, again, it's like the, so many of the characters I've played have taught me something. And I think Mm -hmm. stepping into her in that way, it it teaches you like how incredible human beings are and resilient and how many fighters there are out there and how many people have done that. How many people have like been through deep suffering that we don't even know about. And then they're like, well, I still have to feed my children and I still have to go to work. And I still, it's just like, people are incredible. And so, yeah, it just makes me appreciate humans. Hey, Sunnies. So on this podcast, I talk a lot about self-care, a lot about ways that you can help yourself with depression and anxiety, whether that's journaling, taking a bath, meditating, going for a run, calling an old friend. There are a lot of different ways to cope. But I have to say, when things get really bad, the best thing to do is find a professional who you can talk to. 
And I'm happy to say that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. What is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is the largest online counseling provider, and you can sign up there using my code betterhelp.com slash cryingbehindpod. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash cryingbehindpod, and you'll get 10% off your first month. So basically, when you sign up, they make you take a quiz, and that will match you with a counselor very quickly who meets all of your needs, whether you're dealing with depression or anxiety or OCD or eating disorders, whatever it is that you have going on, there is a counselor on there who will be able to help you. And even if you don't like the counselor they pair you up with, you can switch at any time free of charge and you can talk to them on text, video, email, phone, whatever you're comfortable with. So you have a lot of different ways that you can get help and you can do it from the comfort of your own home. So check it out. I hope that you love it. It's betterhelp.com slash crying behind pod. I was thinking about this before the call. Do you prefer the term sexual assault survivor or victim? Uh, always survivor. It has. That's you what know I thought. What I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, even working with, you know, I've done work with Peace Over Violence and Rain, which are incredible organizations um, for these sorts of things. And yeah, it's really emphasizing even saying that to yourself like to switch the mentality. It's like, cause if you do survive, it's like you're winning and then you build your life from there. You know, it's like, you are a survivor of these things. And yeah, I just think the word victim has just such a negative and weak and um, disempowering connotation, you know? Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's like, being a victim of your own circumstances or things being out beyond your control. Whereas if you're a survivor, then you're choosing to live and you're Mm -hmm. choosing joy and you're choosing to move on to whatever is more important in your life. Right. I think that's such a strong stance, you know? Um, So anytime Mm -hmm. I see somebody like they survivor really of anything, I'm like, absolutely. Yes, you are. You know, it's like, absolutely. (laughs) Because it's just such a powerful stance to take in the healing process. And even to adapt that word versus victim, it's, you know, I think language is so important. I think the words we say to ourselves, how, you know, it's what we say to our friends, like it's so important. And so um, that was a huge turning point for me. It's just like saying survivor and what that does. You're taking the power back. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I was really moved uh, as I went down to Shockbox Gallery where you have your art or some of your art displayed. And I saw a piece that you had taken um, a journal entry uh, from, I guess, uh, I don't know, like 10 years ago or something, whenever this assault happened, uh, journal entry kind of just describing your feelings as well as um some piece of mail that was, uh, or something that had to do with, a uh, like a rape kit maybe, or I'm yeah, not sure yeah, what it was. It, yeah. That was the start like intake form. It's like the consent form for a physical examination after a sexual assault. Okay. Yeah. So it's like the intake consent form. So I yeah, took that yeah. as well. Yeah. But she, yeah, you, you took all of this and you literally made it into actual visual art. Um, and I was really, I was blown away by like, not only your ability to put yourself out there just completely raw because I write in my journal I would 
<laughs> I guess maybe I shouldn't say never say never. Okay. Maybe in the, maybe you're going to inspire me, but at this point in time, I would not take my journal entry and like frame it for everyone to see, <laughs> let alone like the yeah. most personal one. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I just, I really applaud you for that. And I'm wondering like when you were writing those, those journal entries and you were going through this terrible experience, like, um, first off, like how, how, how was that for you? And how did you come around to, uh, not only accepting it, being able, but being able to advocate and like speak out on it like you are today? Yeah. I mean, that's such a loaded question. I know, like it's we could do questions a series in one. <laughs> of podcasts on it. We do a series of, you know, um, and that's what yeah. I'm really working on now. It's such, I will say anybody, and there's so many people, you know, it is one in three women, one in five men that have experienced sexual assault, sexual abuse in some way. Like the statistics are ridiculous. So my process is just you know, and what I went through, it's like, it has my specifics, but it's one of many, but that still doesn't mean it wasn't, you know, my life completely stopped for a really long time. And, you know, I, uh, I was, um, sexually assaulted and actually almost died. Um, and it was someone that I knew I had known for five years and they mm-hmm. drugged me with something that my body couldn't handle. And so my body went into shock and I was, you know, um, I was paralyzed, so I couldn't move my body, but I can still remember everything. So it's oh. just like, it was a process and it was only like, you know, there's so many elements of the story but where things just sort of divinely happened where I didn't die, you know, like me getting out of that room, me finding someone to take me to the hospital, like these really profound things that I, when I look back now, I'm like, oh, I could have died then, or I could have died that, you know, these, these incredible things that I'm still processing, you know, I think with any sort of trauma, whether it's something you report or you don't report, um, we're, we're forever processing them. It's not like, okay, check the box. Well, I'm done. I'm good. You know, that's not no. a thing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, my story. And then I also, I lived with a man at the time, you know, this was 10 years ago. I lived with a man that, you know, we were planning on getting married and, and it was, again, we're up against the society that doesn't understand or talk about sexual assault. And he, you know, I don't vilify him, but he, didn't have anywhere to put it. And so he was like, um, I can't do this. And so it was also losing him and, um, losing my future, losing my home, you know, going through a criminal investigation, um, all really at the same time. all at the same time, my entire life bottomed out. So, you know, um, and it has taken 10 years, you know, it, this June will be the 10 years since it's happened June 12th. And so I've sort of always known I was going to do something with it, um, mm-hmm. but I never wanted it to be at a place where I couldn't hold the story. I couldn't hold it with grace and, or I felt like I would fall apart. Um, and it's been just such a journey of, you know, um, uh, struggling with self-worth and struggling with feeling like a broken product and a broken woman. And, um, and also having this deep, like what feels like a deep, dark, hidden, shameful secret in my life, you know, where it's like, I think people see my Instagram and it's like, here's my puppies and here's the things I'm doing. But also here's this really deep, dark corner where if you find out this thing about me, I won't be fundamentally lovable anymore, you know? Um, so yeah, it's processing through all of that. And again, I just, 
have had this really deep desire and pull to be like, this needs to be out in the world. You know, these these documents, yeah, these documents, this conversation needs to be had because I've had the conversation on small levels with like friends and they're like, oh my gosh, like I went through this experience or, you know, it's liberating in these individual conversations, but I'm like, I have this folder of all of these things, these journal entries, these forensic documents, these medical documents. I'm like, I am willing to like, not willing like that, you know, in any kind of arrogant way, but I'm like, it's time to have the world interact with them, whatever that looks like, whether that's my girlfriends, people at the gallery, I'm like, let's interact with them. Let's, let's say like, I survived. Like I lived through the losing everything. Like I'm alive. Like, yeah, let's make this tangible. Let's yeah. put this out there and ha- start that conversation. Because um, I remember when I saw the pieces, a piece, and then you, we were talking about it. You said that, you know, you've been hearing people's stories mm-hmm. after they see it, that you feel like they, they, that you feel like you've emboldened them where they can come to you and tell these stories yeah. about what has happened to them. Yeah. And that's such a profound, anytime someone lets you into the circle of their life in such a beautiful way like that, like I don't look at, I look at them like, you're so beautiful that you'll, you'll share that story with me. You're so beautiful Mm -hmm. that you survived that thing. I don't look at someone that (laughs) shared those, those stories. It's like, oh, I didn't want to know that. I'm like, wow, you are profound. You are standing in front of me and you went through this deep, dark suffering. Like that is so beautiful. And the more we connect on those kind of real things, not like these superficial things we connect on, but if we connect on real things, we, we feel held by the world, you know? Yes. And it's like, you and I talked about, you know, when you came out to see this show, how it's like, there are so many other like tragedies we go through in our life, whether that's a loved one getting cancer or something else like that, or even the death of a loved one. And we get held by our community, right? It's like, there's outreach, there's Facebook posts, there's all these things, but then with sexual assault, it's silence. Yeah. It happens in the shadows Yeah, and there's so much shame around it. And it's not like there's no social norm to say like, hi, I was assaulted last night, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or even if someone did post that it wouldn't be immediately people running to help them. I think a lot of people would be too scared and not know what to say. Yeah. Or they, or they say the wrong things. Well, like, well, what did you do? Or what were you wearing? Like, you know, it's, we are so behind in the way that we discuss support and lift up, um, sexual assault survivors that, uh, we just have to start the dialogue and the dialogue has to be better. And then, you know, and then it's the work on once we all start uniting and having a conversation, then we work on the system because the, the system is so incredibly broken as well. Yeah. I, I have a few questions floating around my head. I'd love to know from your perspective, how can we be a better support and better friends to um, survivors of sexual assault? Like if someone tells you their story or what, what are the right things to, to say or mm-hmm. the right ways to offer support? Yeah, I think that's so beautiful to ask. And I think the biggest thing Um, you know, they tell you when you go through rain train, which is the training program for being a a 24 hour, like hotline answerer that the biggest thing is just like, I'm so sorry. And you didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, there is still so much stigma of, 
you know, it's like with any prejudice, if there's a part of you that's like asking yourself if this person is lying, that's where the work needs to be done on you, not on that person that's confessing something. Because to confess something like this is already so terrifying that it cannot be met with skepticism. It has to be met with, I am so sorry. You did absolutely nothing wrong. I'm here for you. You know, there are resources if you really want to be, you know, um, you know, there's like rain that has a 24 hour hotline. It's just like really cleansing out the part in our society. That's like, "Mm, did you really? Yeah. That is what that is so damaging and has to stop. It has to stop. And I think also, uh, like on a micro level, uh, like when someone comes to you and says this happened, and then if the person that, uh, did this to them is someone, you know, Mm -hmm. then I think you really have to hold back on that skepticism because just because that person is your friend or you think they're a good person doesn't mean that this couldn't have also happened. Right. You know, like we, we have to believe the people who would tell us these things. If someone says this happened to me, we have to take that at face value. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, this is like, you know, don't go out and stone that person. It's about like, mm-hmm. how can I hold this person that's in front of me confessing something that is so hard to confess? Mm-hmm. Now, what can I do to support this person? Because the, yes. it's like, this is not about you know, we have so much work to do with what we, you know, how we treat people that, um, actually are the ones that are sexually assaulting. That's a whole other conversation, but it's just, you know, there are sometimes these things that are met with, you know, I'll never forget. I had, um, you know, a, a personal story where someone said, oh, well, he was always nice to me. And, and I'm like, that is the craziest response I've ever heard in my life. I almost died and was sexually assaulted. And the only response is like, oh, well, he was always nice to me. I'm like, it's such a, these responses happen. And to acknowledge that they're happening like now is like, I'm not laughing to discredit. I'm laughing because it's so outrageously insane. But no, it's to, ridiculous. Yeah, to acknowledge these reactions are happening. And I and look, people are reacting through their own story. They don't really know what to say. But my thing is like, we just have to hold people that go through this and and remind them that, you know, and if you don't have the capacity to meet that, just refer them to someone who can and don't say anything because your words are so it can be so damaging. Like if you don't have the capacity to not say something, then be like, I will help you find resources, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I like that you use the word, word, uh, to hold someone Mm -hmm. because, um, whatever that happened to them is also a physical thing. And then what if we can bring in that soft touch of I'm going to either, metaphorically or physically like hold you and show you that there is that still that softness in the world and there is that warmness and yeah that's really beautiful because there's a lot of different ways yeah that's about navigating it that specific space and how well you know that person and of course it's always about respecting that but there there was that feeling I had 
you know, and again, the the partner that I was with would never touch me again. Like he would kind of hug me, but it was like, I was gross after this happened. I was a gross, Mm. broken product. And to remind this, this, these, all these survivors that it's like, there is nothing, you're not gross. You're not broken. You are loved. And whether that's holding space or holding Mm -hmm. physically, that's how, you know, you have to know this person in order to navigate that, you know, with them. But especially if they're going through the system, the system is so cold and so, um, racking on the physical symptom. It's like any way that that person can be reminded that they're not gross and dirty and they're still fundamentally lovable. And yeah, I think that's to each his own, but yeah, what I say, hold and either physically hold or hold space and just remind like, you're not broken. You are not gross. I just will never forget like feeling broken and dirty and gross and like no one would want to be near me again. And, Mm. and that is so in that, that has to stop, you know? It does. No, absolutely. And I think like you kind of already answered my question because I was also thinking about for someone who has gone through this, like how do you get rid of those thoughts of feeling damaged and broken, right? Like how, how did you turn that narrative around to saying, no, I'm, I'm a whole person and I'm still lovable. Obviously that's not something you can do immediately. Um, I'm sure it takes time, but what, what was that process like for you? Yeah. I mean, that was a really extensive process. I went through like, you know, um, I went through the rape treatment center in Santa Monica and got really extensive therapy that I was really grateful for. That was rape specific therapy. Um, so I was really dedicated to therapy because again, I was like, this is not going to overtake my life, you know? Um, and I also was very discerning about who I surrounded myself with, you know, again, if it was like that partner that was like, Oh, you're gross, you're gross and broken. I was like, that's not somebody I can energetically be surrounded with right now maybe one day I'll be strong enough to have a guard against that, but I'm true too energetically penetrable to that kind of energy. Like I can only be around nurturing, loving people, um, and around really good therapists. And cause again, you're trying to, those thoughts that come in of like, I'm dirty and broken. You already have to fight the battle of like not feeding those thoughts. So you can't also have skeptical people around you. So just being very discerning, even if that's one friend, even that, if that means I have one good friend, that one good friend is better than 10 that are mediocre and making you doubt yourself. And so it's just being very discerning about, I am going to fight for my life. I am fundamentally worthy and I am going to surround myself with that kind of nurturing energy because it's so out there. Like it is so, there are so many beautiful people in the world, there's no reason to waste time on ones that will bring you down. And, Mm -hmm. and, and then just being really dedicated for me, it was about being really dedicated to the work of like, I'm going to carry this for the rest of my life, but it's not going to define me. So I'll do the work. I will nurture myself. I will go on really long walks. I will, you know, just really dedicate myself to the therapy and the gentleness that I need to heal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's something I've always admired about you is you're willing to do the work. Like 
uh, I remember when we met, we were both waiting tables uh, and you were, well, you were bartending and I was waiting tables, but you know, we were both working <laughs> in a restaurant, same diff. And I remember so many nights after your shift was over, uh, late at night, you'd be out on the patio studying your lines or working on a character for your class. And that really, I always thought about that because I was like, yeah, Christina's willing to put in the work. She's not trying to just like float through life, you know, and because you are willing to put in the work, I think you get the rewards of um, not only like doing well in your career, but also being able to transform this terrible experience into something that now you can help other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for reflecting that back. I think, yeah, it's never going to be comfortable to do the work. You know, I had a therapist once say to me, like the day you don't want to come to therapy the most, like you're railing against the, the most is the day you need to go the most like, and it's not about fighting your system or being hard on yourself. It's just like fighting for yourself. I think that's, what's so important. If like, so many people are going to try and convince you not to do it either. Like that aspect of resistance of like, you don't need to go today. You've, you've got a ton or like, you know, um, but just having that, the steadfastness of like, I know what nurtures me and really fighting for that, you know, cause no one will fight for you the way you'll fight for yourself. Yes. And that's something to really remember because it's so easy to say like, oh, okay, well, I, I signed up for therapy here I am, fix me. <laughs> and the, the secret is that like, yes, the therapist is going to help you, but pretty much everything that happens in therapy is generated by you and by what you're willing to tell them and what places you're willing to go. Like if, if you're not willing to change, the therapist can't just wave a magic wand over you and no. fix you. No, it is not an <laughs> external process. No one can give you all that healing, you give it to yourself, you know? Yeah. And like the best gift that you give to yourself. Yeah. Feeling like you, you've, you've healed from this thing. Um, that's, that's so great. Uh, I want to get back to your art because I know we have some different things coming up. Um, obviously everyone should check out your art that's on Emrita art. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, we were talking before the call that you are going to be doing an off-Broadway show later this year once uh, things open up again. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I'm so excited about that one. Um, yeah, that <laughs> sort of just fell into, you know, with some New York friends. I'm, I'm the only one coming from L.A., which is so exciting and humbling that they asked me. I just got approached about it a while ago. And we thought it would be theater row and then it's now turned off Broadway and we already have the rights for it. And, um, it's a revival of Hurley Burley, which is an incredible and really crazy relevant story about people that just can't connect. And they're all kind of like self-sabotaging and yeah, it's just a story that I feel like it's really valuable, especially after the pandemic. So it's going to be really fun to just get up. These actors are incredible. I mean, we have one of the founding members of UCB in it that we just got that just Ooh. got uh, his name is Ali. I'll send you his okay. Yeah, he's incredible. He just got cast in it like two weeks ago. We had cool. a replacement. So just really humbled by the people that are wanting to get behind it and you know um that we got the rights and everything. So 
yeah, I'm just like taking it moment to moment and getting excited. And um, it'll be really fun to be in New York and see all these people that I love. And uh, we we have the rights for 16 performances right now off Broadway. So, wow. And like how it's just so incredible, like to get back to that, because there's nothing like live theater. And that's like the one thing that seems like the most not COVID friendly activity because it's like, oh, we're, we're all indoors, yeah. you know, uh, talking and laughing and being with each other. And I mean, do, do you miss that audience interaction? Yeah, I think there's, you know, because I have a competitive dancer history. So on stage in front of people is like my that's my roots, you know, it's like tiny Christina roots. So it's like, <laughs> I just have such a that I love that feeling of the visceral feeling of being in front of people and feeling their energy. And, and, you know, it's different every single night and, and it's still, you're telling a linear story, which you don't get to in filmmaking. Like you're, you know, shooting all different parts of the story. So it's just its own kind of magic that I will forever be in love with the stage. So to, you know, and we're going to be one of the first, if not the first off Broadway uh, shows, after the pandemic. So I hope that it's that energy of like people are starved for it and really just want story. And that's what Absolutely. I'm really hoping for. So, um, and again, I just so love the people in it. Like I just, you know, um, they're incredible. Well, I hope that I get to make it out to New York to see it because I I'll tell you, I, um, I love New York and I try to go there at least once a year. And like, that is something I've been really missing that I haven't stepped on a plane since before all this started. So I want to get out there. <laughs> I know that'd be so fun. I, I, I will, I'll peer pressure you to come out. I'll, be like, come, come. <laughs> I'll find a friend's couch to sleep on. It's fine. Yeah, it's um, so but yeah, that, that, that'll be really cool. And, um, also, uh, this is something that I ask all of my guests. Uh, it's a segment that I like to call hot tips, hot tips, hot tips, hot tips. <laughs> so Christina, when you have a bad day, uh, whether your dogs are acting a fool or <laughs> I don't know, uh, you, you had a painting that was commissioned by a client and it's just not turning out the way that you want or whatever bad day looks like for you. Uh, how do you turn your mood around? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, I think the biggest thing I would say is stopping the thought cycle. That's the first thing I do. It's like, I'll start to have those like damaging thoughts, you know, of like, I'm going to fail and I never do anything right. And I'm depressed. So the first thing is to be like, no, I don't choose these thoughts. And then it's really a matter of like what that day is. Like a lot of times I'll go and chant, which is obviously my big go-to, or it's just, I will, anything to stop that thought cycle is like usually change the activity I'm doing. It's like, if I'm in a negative mode in that activity, I will stop it and like go on a really long walk with like no technology, like, you know, no, I love that. Yeah. No headphones, no, no phone calls, no texts, no podcasts, no nothing. Just go on a really long walk or take a nap like for 20 minutes or read like, you know, Buddhist philosophy, something that's like, this is not the end, you know, this is not the end of my life. Like stopping those thoughts, you know, Yeah, change the environment, change the activity. And then you can kind of trick your brain into switching yeah. those thoughts. And then, and then I always like, and then it's the biggest thing I'm working on. Cause I have such introverted tendencies is call somebody, like call somebody and 
just remember that I'm loved and I have community. Cause I think the biggest thing, especially right now with how isolated we are, it's like, we're like, Oh, I'll fix it in my, in my little head and I'll swirl around in my little head. Um, and I'll co- go to my friends when I'm just happy. It's like, no, your friends want to hold you up. Like, and calling somebody, yes. sometimes just hearing somebody's like sweet voice that you love, you're like, oh, I'm fine. You know? So it's just like really building community too. And not building community just when we're happy or when we want to brag about something, but building community when it's like, hey, I kind of feel really bad right now. Can I just hear your voice for a second? And we talk about any, you know? just remembering that that's what real community is like. That's Absolutely. What, that's what I've learned is just not hiding. Don't hide. Yeah. You know? well, Cause I'll say like, if someone ever calls me when they're feeling bad, I don't judge them at all. I feel honored yeah. that they would trust me with those feelings and I'm happy to be there for them. You know, if anything, the only thing that would make me upset is if I was in the middle of something and I'm like, oh, you know, yeah. like, I wish I could help. I'm working or whatever. But I'm never upset that someone calls um, to, to say hi, whether they're good mood, good mood, bad mood. Um, if it's a friend, you know, like if I'm mad at someone, sure, maybe I don't want to hear from them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but if, if we're on good terms, call yeah, me. It's fine. That's so funny. <laughs> I see. I'm like, I'm like, even if I'm mad at you, go ahead, call me. Let's, let's have it out. It's fine. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> so just like, let's go. Let's just talk about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not anti-confrontation, but you know, sometimes you're just like, mm. I'm just like, not today. Not yeah. today. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Not no. today, Satan. Not, not today. today. <laughs> but yeah, just don't hide. People have to, we got to stop hiding, you know? Mm-hmm. That's my big yeah. thing. And I, I feel I, like, I'm like saying that to myself. I'm like, stop hiding when you're sad. Stop it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's a very normal thing though. Like, uh, it's a very normal impulse. I mean, I remember even when I was a kid, like I would, um, the thing in my family was just like, nobody was very outwardly emotional, you know? So if I felt like I needed to cry, I would literally go into my room and close the door and cry by myself. Mm -hmm. And I had to work to shake that off in my adulthood, you know? Yeah. So um, I, I, I understand that impulse like deeply and I had to kind of work hard to get rid of that. And I think acting really helped me as well. Cause I think when I went to conservatory and they were like, oh no, 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 these feelings are good. Put them out in the open. We want to, <laughs> we want to see them. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. You know? And then I met all these other touchy feely people and I realized I wasn't so weird. So, no, you're not. You're beautiful. You're not weird. (laughs) Well, I'm like, I I am weird, but like in a good way. Yeah, no, me too. (laughs) Why we get along? Why we get along? Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you for being here. And um, I'm just so happy that you you could finally come on here and tell your story and share about your art and why you do everything that you do. Um, Do you have any, um, anything else you want to share? Any last words of wisdom for people who might be, uh, struggling or depressed or lonely out there just we you know we all are at times so you know reach out and just there's no value in beating yourself up just so much self-gentleness like everything opens up when you find compassion for yourself you know it's just what I want everyone to feel it's just gentleness for the self you know Uh, but yeah. And thank you so much. Like your questions are amazing. You're an amazing, beautiful human that I always love to see and talk to. So yeah, 
It's amazing to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm glad I could hold space for you. Always. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Crying Behind Sunglasses. I hope that it made you feel a little bit less weird about whatever you're going through and made you feel less alone. If you want to learn more about Christina, uh, you can check her out online at Christina Elizabeth Smith or her art is on her art page on Instagram at Amrita Art, which is A-M-R-T-A-A-R-T. So yeah, definitely check out her stuff. It's beautiful. And uh, you can actually buy a piece for your home if you feel like it. I put all the details and the full episode descriptions on cryingbehindpod.com. If you loved this episode, then please write us a review on iTunes and share it with a friend that you think might also enjoy it. And until next time, stay cool, stay present, stay sunny. Here, here.